As we prepare to hear the message, will you echo this prayer in your hearts while we read God's word? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church family. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to be with you. Good to see so many of you here today. Uh, I continue to keep you in prayer. These are indeed difficult times for many of us. And uh, as we try to live faithfully um, in days that are uncertain and as we anticipate uh, a vaccine to come in the hopefully not too distant future, we continue to trust that the Lord would offer you his grace and his peace. Uh, doing it online, doing the service online sometimes can feel a little impersonal, and um, I, I never want to lose the personal touch of ministry, but it is so hard when we are masked and at a distance. Nothing says life is different than plexiglass. Some days I feel like the Pope, you know. Uh. <laughs> Uh, 
but I want to just uh, celebrate a couple of things with you as a community of faith, as a church family. The first is that uh, Pastor Ryan's wife, Michaela, as some of you know, um, her granddad passed away just a few uh, weeks ago. Uh, she had traveled home and arrived back last night, and uh, she received her work permit last night when she returned, and so we're, we're grateful for God's provision. Thank you for praying uh, for her and uh, for them. And then I'm also excited to announce an engagement. Uh, Ruthann and I finally decided to get married. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, Sarah Ashton and Brendan Elhart got engaged last night, and uh, we celebrate with the two of you and with your families, and we'll be praying for you in these days as well. This is a word that um, I feel is challenging to me and might be challenging to us. And um, as years have passed, as I've studied Scripture, I, I've always been fascinated that sometimes I see things that I haven't seen before. Does that happen to you? Sometimes I notice things that I hadn't noticed before. I think part of why that happens is that I am sometimes in a different place in my life, and by the prevenient grace of God, He... He seems to speak to me where I'm at. And maybe it is true that there are some times in our life where a word is not a word in season for us. I was reminded of this recently when I was studying Scripture and someone was reflecting on the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1 and then talking about the word that the, uh, the revelator gives to the same church in Revelation 2. And I noted that the words were different. They were not contrary, but they were different. So sometimes in the life of the church, there are seasons in which a word is of particular importance, but there might be a different word for a different season. And I've been trying to think a lot about the word of God as it relates to the season within which we find ourselves. And so I trust that as we listen to a text that speaks about judgment, we would therein find the grace of God for such a time as this. I'm convinced more and more that in times of change, what we need is to not just cling to an unchanging God, but to lean into the words that bring life and hope. There are words of fear that inspire many people to respond in different ways, but for those who follow Jesus, we come to him and we listen to his word. And I pray this morning that his word would speak hope and encouragement to us all. Christians did not enjoy political power or privilege in the world until around the fourth century. When historians tell us we ended up with our first Roman and Christian emperor. See, the early church experienced a Christianity on the margins of society, a way of life that was not defined by power and privilege, but rather by persecution and marginalization. I think it is hard for Christians today, like you and me, to not think of our faith based upon the privilege that Constantine has afforded us in the West. 
it is hard for us to perceive of a Christianity that does not come with certain benefits and certain privileges. And I think it makes it hard for us to even hear Scripture like this for what it is. The early church did not experience the kind of political favor that Constantine brought to the Roman Empire and to Christianity and the Holy Roman Catholic Church. The early church experienced a persecution for their faith and their following of Jesus. And like the early church, we are now in the West in particular experiencing a way of life, a culture that is free from any real significant Christian influence. The good news is, is that the church has been here before. And for many Christians who become anxious in these times, uh, perhaps feeling like we want to go back to a day in which we enjoyed the favor and the privilege of the powers that be, I, I want to suggest to us today that the Scripture speaks a word of hope to us because it reminds us that even when we live in days where the world does not afford us privilege, even if we do not feel that we have power as followers of Jesus Christ in the prevailing culture, that we can live faithfully to the one who is with us in every season of life. And I think that it is really important for me and for us as the church to recognize that even though the church lived in oppressive times in the early years of the formation of this group that followed Jesus, they were not only able to remain faithful, but they were able to become influential. They influenced their word, the world. In fact, I'd like to give you a picture of Acts that goes something like this. As they were persecuted, they witnessed and as they witnessed, many were being saved. And they took the word of hope of Jesus Christ from Jerusalem to the outskirts of the Roman Empire, not in a world that favored them or supported them, but anointed by the Holy Spirit. And running as they did, they made a difference in their world. I... Uh, don't think that the disciples envisioned that's how it was going to be. <laughs> in fact, earlier in Matthew's gospel, we, we hear that, that, you know, the mom of two of the disciples kind of advocated for their place on the right and the left-hand side of Jesus. I don't think they wanted to be a part of a kingdom that that might require them to become uh, persecuted. I don't think that they wanted to sign up to following Jesus and that in doing so, it might lead them into very difficult places and spaces in life. But I, I, I think this morning, if, you, <laughs> if you're open to it, that the Lord might speak to us in a way that might unsettle but maybe encourage uh, the scripture that we read today is a scripture that has been spoken of in many contexts, and the emphasis has always been on the judgment of the sheep from the goats. Now, when I was reading some commentaries, they said, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the ancient Eastern world, in the Middle East still to this day, it's not as easy a thing to separate sheep from goats because they actually look more alike than we think. 
Now, many of us, uh, we have uh, images of white, fluffy sheep. And uh, goats are, in our culture, especially the dark aspects of our culture, are kind of associated with some dark stuff. Uh, but as I was reading uh, the commentary on this, it was saying it's not easily discernible uh, what the, who was the sheep and the goat for a shepherd. The shepherd had to come close. And, and we don't know why sheep and goats, they, we know that they were allowed to graze together, but we don't know why they really were separated at night. So if you have a good explanation as to why they were separated at night, let me know. It's, I, I think the best I can come up with is when our kids were little and we, we had this little Volvo and all three of them sat in car seats next to each other. It just didn't work out. But what we have in this particular scripture is this kind of idea that, that there are those who are going to be judged to be right with God based upon how they respond to the least of these. If they fed people when they were hungry, if they gave them a drink when they were thirsty, if they welcomed them in even if they were strangers, if they clothed them when they were naked, if they took care of when they were sick and if they visited them when they were in prison, such persons are welcomed in to receive the kingdom that the one who is the king has prepared for them. And those who refuse to, to, refuse to or, or ignore those who are hungry and thirsty, who does not welcome in the stranger, who does not care for the sick or visit the person in prison, according to the text it says, they are dismissed into eternal punishment. Now, like many of you here today, I, I've always read this text this way, that Jesus is teaching his disciples that whenever somebody is hungry, whenever somebody is thirsty, when some, somebody is in need, when somebody is sick, when someone is imprisoned, that those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus ought to be compassionate and care for them. But do you know that in Matthew's gospel, this phrase, the least of these, is most often associated with those who started to follow Jesus. When this phrase repeatedly occurs in Matthew, it is not in reference to a generalized people, but it is in reference to a particular kind of people. Sometimes it's the people that others ignored and didn't think could be true religious people. Sometimes it was children. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus speaks of children, he uses the same phrase, these little ones, the least of these, are becoming the family of Jesus Christ. Christ, which changed the interpretation of this text for me so significantly because it's no longer a text that invites us just to care in general for those who are in need, although the Bible makes that clear. But it speaks a different word. It speaks a word to the church that says, if we are the least of these, sometimes we will find ourselves hungry. Sometimes we will find ourselves thirsty. Sometimes we will find ourselves in need. Sometimes because we are the least of these that the great king has made his own, we will be the ones not in power to offer compassion, but the ones who are in need of it. I don't know if I'm the first one to preach this text this way. But I, I find it far more challenging 
When I think about what Jesus is saying to his disciples who in just a few short years would experience uh, persecution, 70 AD, the persecution reaches a boiling point. Jerusalem is taken over by Rome and the temple that meant so much is destroyed. We read in Acts that they become the, the disciples become the persecuted and they begin to flee. And if I think carefully about how Acts narrates the early church's birth, uh, these descriptors here of the hungry, of the thirsty, of the strangers who help welcome them in, uh, of the vulnerability that requires the care of others, if I think about what they endured, including the imprisonment, I hear this word as a word to disciples saying to them that even when in being faithful to me, you go through the wars, you struggle, you find yourself even imprisoned you are still the least who belong to me. <laughs> you see, I think that many of us are comfortable with a faith that challenges us to be the ones who have the ability to offer to others. But like the early church and like the disciples who followed Jesus, there is a sense in which we look more like him to others when we suffer like he suffered. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say it this way. He says, I want to know him not only in the power of his resurrection... But I want to share in the fellowship of his suffering. You know why this is an important word for us? It's an important word for us because I think that when we have enjoyed privilege and power for so long, it is hard for us to reconcile faithfulness in times of want and need. It is hard for us to look at God in in times in which we feel like we're the imprisoned, like we're the vulnerable. It is hard for us to look at God in, in times where we no longer are the ones that have the ability to do for others, but perhaps need others to do for us. I haven't explored all the potential theological implications of this interpretation, but I do want to suggest a couple of things to you this morning. And I will be real short. Those disciples who come as bearers of the hope of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts come as those who would be hungry, thirsty, vulnerable, sick, and imprisoned. They would come as the ones in need of compassion and care. And so as I thought about this, I wondered, well, you know, how, do you, how do you preach on that? I mean, that, that, that's one thing to say, but what does this mean for us today? I, I've come up with two good points and one that's dodgy, so I may not share that one at the end. It comes in the form of a question. Are we okay with being the least of these? You see, I, I think that sometimes we are not the ones that have the ability 
to offer others, but we need to become the ones that are receptive to the gifts of the other. Can I say it differently? Sometimes we are not the ones who offer compassion, but we are the ones who stand in need of compassion. You know, if you think that I'm stretching this, I want you to remember what Jesus does throughout the Gospel of Matthew. When even people that, that others say don't mix with reach out to him and invite him, he steps into their home. He lets a woman of poor reputation wash his feet. He is the kind of Christ who models for us the kind of grace that often eludes us when we are used to having control and being in control. He is the kind of Jesus who humbles himself enough to allow others to serve him. He is the Christ who steps into the space of others and not simply says, come into my space. You know, the kind of church that Jesus is, 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 is telling us to be here is not a church that simply says to other people, come into our building, come into our ministry, come into our space. But it is the kind of church that says, people on the outside of this building in our lives, they have something to offer us when we are all also in need. It's the kind of church that says we are redeeming the world not simply by saying that we have something good, but that others indeed may meet our need in times of trial and trouble. Jesus is this example of a, a way of life that challenges the Western sentiment. I'm sorry to say this to you. I find this hard to preach. I like to be in control. I like to be the one that can call the shots. I like to meet your needs. I like to be the one that can, can pay the bills. Have you ever gone to coffee for me with me? You'd have to arm wrestle me to pay that bill. Now, the keg is different. But those who know compassion are the ones who experience it for themselves. And in order to receive, we must see ourselves truly as the least of these. You see, I think the challenge in the text is not to say, who are the least of these out there? But am I seeing myself honestly as the one in need of the grace of God? The hospitality of others. The compassion of people around me. If there's a criticism of Western culture that we've repeatedly heard and we bristle to, it's this, that we are so individual in our pursuit of anything that even in our faith we resist the help we need when we need it. That we've become so fascinated with the personal pursuit of wealth and success to our own detriment that we are unable to recognize that God has given us the grace of companions, of people, of friends, even of strangers. Let me tell you, let me tell you how Jesus showed up to me one day. I was a youth pastor. I've told the story before, but I've come to figure in all the years I've been here, you've forgotten my stories within 24 hours. So this is going to be like new. I was in Toronto, I was a youth pastor, I was driving a bunch of youth around and we were going to, I, I can't remember the exact name of the place, but it was a ministry, a house where they ministered to people with different handicaps. And as we were pulling up to a traffic light close to uh, one of the most wealthy neighborhoods in all of Toronto, 
this gentleman who was clearly um, homeless walked up to me. He uh, came to our window, and of course, the pressure of being a youth pastor, Pastor Ryan, you know, just came flooding in. I got to do the right thing now. I can't pretend I don't see him. <laughs> Accountability so shows up in strange ways. And so, so anyway, so, so I had a little glove compartment, you know, and I, and I, I kind of looked through it, and, and then I found some change, and I took the change out, and you, some of you remember me telling the story before. And I held my hand like this. And as I put my hand through the window, I, I said to this man, I said, this is, uh, this is all I have. Now, I'm sitting in a, in a car that obviously has gas in it. I have a job. I'm married to a wife that is way too good for me. But I think Jesus loves me enough to bless me with good things. And as I offered him my little change, and I said, this is all I have, he took both his hands and he wrapped it around my hand. Pre-COVID days. And he pushed my hand back through the window and he said, if this is all you have, hear this, I want you to keep it. You see, I, 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 I tell that story in different contexts and I interpret it for people in different ways, but in that very moment, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to me in such a profound way that said, Stu, <laughs> you do not serve and reach out to others without knowing your own need for grace. You, 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 you're looking at yourself poorly. Where would I be but for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? People who live as the least of these, you, we don't have to become the mud under somebody's boot. We, we, we don't have to be downtrodden and, and walk around with our faces gray and no smiles on our face. But people who are the least of these do not presume that the world will respond to them just because they have a particular title. But indeed, they are humble enough to know that in God's created world, there are even homeless men that can show them the truth and the grace of God when they least expected. I learned from a man who probably didn't go to uh, seminary that day what the grace of God looks like. And I think the church in these days needs to discard this mentality that people should just listen to us because we're Christian and live as the least of these in a world with such humility and openness that we dignify people and the good that is in them, saying to them that that good comes from this creator God who has reclaimed us and desires to reclaim this world. You're not convinced. I think the word challenges us to become open to those who show us grace, who show us mercy, who show us kindness. Power and privilege says, I don't need anything from anyone. The least of these says, I am open to the offer of grace, hospitality, and friendship, and care that comes from whoever God puts in my life. 
It doesn't matter how much you have today or how much you don't have. It doesn't matter whether you feel like things are going well or they are not going well. In fact, I want to just speak this to you. In this season of life in particular, each one of us, I am convinced, needs some godly friends, needs some encouragement, needs some compassion, needs somebody to come into our lives and us be open to receiving from them what we need to make it through. I know most years I'd preach on this text and say, let's get out there. Let's do this thing. Let's change our world. But as I read this text, it strikes me that when the church lives as the least of these, open to others, it might become its most profound way of saying, this is who Jesus is. I'm going to close, and I'm not sure how to do that, to be honest with you. But a few thoughts have kind of run around in my mind. One of it is, who's in my life as a gift from God to help me? What is in my life that makes me thirsty, hungry? And that for some reason, I I, I don't see myself as I ought to because I mask it. I don't think I should. I should be together. I should have it all figured out. But could it be that in this particular season of life, the Lord wants us to open our lives to receive the grace of a friend? Perhaps even the truth from a stranger. Some of these disciples would end up in prison. I I wonder who came to visit them. (laughs) Who who came to sit with them and say, hey, I I know this is tough and, and this is difficult, but, you know, Jesus is still Lord. And he has brought me here to remind you of it. I wonder who the people are that we need to allow in. Sometimes it's not the people we think we need to allow in. Here's what we do in our culture. We allow people in that we feel are most like us. No amens? But often the people that are most helpful to us in our life with God are not the ones who come with power and privilege. They come with humility and grace. Sometimes I think this needs to happen in our home with our children. I use my children in so many examples, and I hope that they know it's not only the bad ones. But sometimes my children teach me humility when they show me truth. I wonder if in marriages, 
whether things would be different for us in our relationships, in our homes, if, if, if we would learn, if we would learn to receive well the grace of a loving spouse. I wonder in our workplaces and in our schools, if our pride would not keep us from being open so that others may know us. You know, I've known some people for years, but I don't know them. You know what I'm saying? There's some people who are so afraid of being known because I don't know if it's because if you really know the true me, I don't know if you'd love me, but Jesus is this incredible example of somebody who loves the real us, the true us. I feel like I'm rambling, but that's okay. You know, you kind of inherit like at least five minutes of ramble for every year you've been at a church. So I got like a good 60 minutes or something. Do you feel the spirit perhaps in this word today? You know, I've been, um, I've been praying more fervently than I've ever prayed before. I think in this season, my heart has become so soft and tender. I think sometimes the grace of God permeates our hearts in the moments and times in our lives where we are least in control. And it has made me, I think, more open to receiving the grace of God from others. As we get ready to participate in the Lord's Supper, I want to invite uh, our worship team to come. I know we want to be the ones who feed and clothe and care for, but sometimes we are the ones who need it. You know, being faithful to Jesus doesn't always look the way we think it does. It's, it's not always easy. <laughs> Sometimes you pay a price for faithfulness. And yet, these symbols of um, a wafer and juice, symbols of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, reminds us that not only how costly it is to live in his ways, but that ultimately we have hope because he's the one that has overcome this world. And in him we too shall overcome, but until then, receive the grace of God. We do not drink and eat as ones who deserve it. We drink and eat as ones who are the least of these, and yet we have come to know the grace 
of God. As you participate today, the Apostle Paul reminds us to to do this reverently, and, 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 and he reminds us to do this not without thought. These simple things mean something significant. It says you and I have committed ourselves to live in a particular way, not in the ways of the kingdom that is out there, but the ways of Jesus. And as we eat and drink these, we take into ourselves in faith the very spirit of Christ so that we would be all he's called us to be. Father God, as we receive these elements today, may we become more receptive. Would you um, help us to let go of the things we hide behind or the pride that keeps us from acknowledging our needs? May even today we be able to reach out to somebody or have someone who's been trying to get to know us, trying to get on the inside, trying to serve us, help us, would we let them closer? May we recognize that as we live this way, vulnerably, openly, as we express at times our thirst and our hunger, by your grace, you will meet our needs. You will fill not only our stomachs, but our hearts. And we can have a joy and a peace that is so elusive in a world that is so broken. These emblems are symbols of your body and your blood that was broken and shed for us. As we eat and drink today, we do so as those who profess that Jesus is King, that He is Lord, and that we are His. Will you eat and drink and give God thanks?